Hello everyone, this is Josh Carr with The Real Angle, and today we are talking to Kier Rinnick. Uh, Kier, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks great. for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I know we were talking a little before I started the recording, uh, but I always like to interview people who are doing something um, interesting, unusual, uh, and that's why I wanted to talk about Farm Op, which is your company. And I always like to tell everyone out there on the internet before we get started, uh, the web address is farmop.com. So if any of you want to check out the website, I always like to put that out there. I'll mention that again at the end of the pod. Um, so what is, let, let's start with the basics. Uh, what is Farm Op Capital? Yeah, so we, so Farm Op Capital is an operating lender to farmers, um, kind of think, larger row crop farmers, your traditional crops, corn, soybeans, uh, cotton, rice, beets, potatoes, things like that. And really we we started the company um, wanting to focus solely on, on operating capital because there's a dynamic going on where a, a large portion of, of at least the um, U.S. farm universe rents their ground. You kind of think of a Farmer is more of a traditional, maybe even a smaller farmer with a farm that was inherited. And you don't think of it being a rental economy, but it actually is. Interesting. And there's a number of problems inside of that that, that create um, uh, struggles for, for getting an operating loan. Right. Because if you own the real estate, you could just get a loan against the real estate. Whereas if you're renting the real estate, it's more, I guess, like funding an operating business. That's that's right. Yeah. If you're asset heavy, right, it, it fits really well into bank kind of balance sheet underwriting methodology and you cross collateralize your your widgets that you're producing and your AR and your real estate or your plant property and equipment. And it's pretty easy to finance from a bank perspective when you don't have or when you rent the PP&E and you just have the widgets, it's a little harder, right, for the bank. Right. Yeah. So, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. So, I mean, your competition then as far as, I mean, you're a specialty lender, uh, I guess. Good way to describe you, I guess. Um, your competition would be banks or who, like, where would these farmers be going otherwise for the loan, I guess, if not to you? Yeah, it's it's banks and the farm credit system. And I would say... It's different depending on the space uh, or the industry sector that you may look at when you look at a specialty lender. So, you know, take commercial real estate as an example. You know, often the angle is potentially a loan that just can't get done, right? It, it doesn't mean that the, you know, the borrower was, was borrowing a 50% LTV on a project. It may just be a project that doesn't get done because you can't get the appropriate leverage to get the deal done. In this particular case, it's more um, it's more around the liquidity profile of the farmer. And so we're actually taking farmers out of the banking system and giving them a different type of loan. And so the, the easy example I often give is if you needed $100 to farm, the bank's probably gonna give you like 60 or 65. You're gonna go get, a, a, a large portion of the rest of it from a retailer, um, a captive finance, input financing type structure, and then maybe they're funding five to $10 of that hundred. We're really making a stretch loan 
to fund more like 85 or 90. And we make an overlapping loan because crops are seasonal, but the reality is the operational components of a crop year don't just fit inside the crop year. So right now we're harvesting the 23 crop, but farmers need to start buying all of their inputs for 24. So you have the, the burden of your project costs, your next year's construction costs inside of this year before you finish this project. And what's unique about what we do, and it's probably unique to the industry, I would say, versus not just what we do. It's very difficult in other industry sectors to go out and be able to create a known outcome, right? So in, in farming, you have crop insurance that's very robust. It's really almost a public-private partnership and it's very supportive uh, safety net to the farmer, but you also have hedging where you can hedge the output, the commodity price. And so those two things together, if you do them right, your widget is pretty well known. And so it allows us to not only go beyond the advance rate of a bank that's looking at the balance sheet, the historical view of asset value, but it's also allowing us to bank next year's you know, future widgets by locking in price and things like that and giving the farmer um, really access to, I think, two profit zones that are taken away from them if they don't have the right liquidity profile. And that's buying their inputs for next year really early because you get discounts and not selling your grain right at harvest, actually selling later into the year. Because as you can imagine at harvest, that's kind of the glut of the market. Everybody's delivering and so your prices are depressed and the carry and the yield curve is much higher if you can wait out to later months. But if you're only given 60 out of the $100 and you're only given one loan at a time, you can't do that. So I would say we're making a stretch loan and two of them with the requirement that there's a heavy risk management plan in place. And we're pulling those farmers out of the banking system and banking them differently versus someone that just isn't going to get the loan. Now, so, so, and I understand a lot of this. So you're, you're giving them a stretch loan, you're lending them more money, you're giving them more flexibility in their timing, which as you said, gives them better pricing power, both on the going in and the going out, buying the, the inputs, selling the outputs. Um, and what's interesting to me also is your comments about how like, you know, you're getting ready for 24 while you're still selling 23, which makes me immediately think about what's your security, right? So if you're, I'm lending you, if you're lending me money to do the 23 full in out the full cycle of the harvest, but then I'm starting on 24, am I getting a new loan for 24? Is my 23 loan rolling into 24? How does that work for me? The 23 loan doesn't roll into 24. Okay. Um, they are liquidated and treated as separate, you know, piles of collateral, if you will. Okay. Um, the equity, though, in 23 is is uh, is a you know is essentially contributing to our ability to underwrite 24, as is the assets that you do own. So there is some there are some assets like right. So if I make good money in 23, I have a better balance sheets, and now we have a relationship. So the logic would be we now do 24 together because why wouldn't we if we just did 23? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of things that go into that mixture, right? Because I the question is a is a very understandable question. So when we think about it, it's it's not only that we can see the equity in 23, 
there's boot collateral that our blanket UCC is attaching to on the balance sheet that's additional collateral. It's typically a family um, kind of small business, legacy business that there isn't this idea that you would exit after doing this for two or three years, right? This is what you do. This is your livelihood. So there's still a, a farmer. Sure. There, there's right. a strong incentive to continue going. So it's not like if we started funding 24, it's likely that somebody's just going to say, see you later. Um, and then we are, there's a cash management con component to this. We're only funding a percentage of 24 and it's attached to the inputs that we would have a security interest in. And it would be, it would be challenging to go liquidate those things. There's, you know, there's, it's unlikely that the farmer isn't going to plant if we're going to provide the resources to go plant next year's crop, but you are, you know, you do have a decent collateral position for 24. You've, you've managed it through cash management by only funding 30 or 40% of the loan until you actually plant. Um, but it is, you know, the, I think being on the edge of that, I can see, and that's part of the advantage, banks aren't going to get comfortable with with doing something like that. Yeah, I mean, because I'm thinking in construction lending, like if I'm forwarding you, uh, forwarding you additional money to keep building your building, I'm having an architect go out and be like, okay, you said you were putting up drywall. Did you put up drywall? Like to actually yeah. see it and to get the receipts, the rest of it. And I want to say you're running this on trust, but to a certain extent, there has to be a little bit more trust than I imagine you have in construction where you have that extra level. Well, I mean, do do you have that extra level of verification? Like, are you verifying they actually planted? Like, or is that just more baked in? Oh, no. Yeah, I would say I would say the verification levels are similar. Maybe the time delay is what's different. So we're often we're direct paying the retailer early. So we know where the money's going. It's okay. not like the money is just being drawn. Um, right. We are verifying, we are verifying planting, um, all of those things. It's just we could we could invest in 24's crop as early as August and it not go in the ground until March. We're doing right, the same because. verification of a construction loan, arguably. It's just there's a time delay where you may have had 30 to 60 days to provide evidence that something's going up, right, for your your construction project where we're more like three to six months. Right. Cause that's just the nature of farming. It's going to, yeah. it's, it's, it's seasonal with the risk of staying the obvious. No, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you have a percentage off the top of your head or you'd share, but um, of your borrowers, what percentage are repeat borrowers? Like once you get them in your system, they're coming back year after year. Yeah. Historically we've, we've had a retention rate of uh, just under 90%. So that's it's exceptional. Yeah. That's it's, exceptional. it's high. Yeah, no, it's interesting because when I think about lending, the great challenge with most commercial lending is that's, you know, you go through all this agit, all this work to go make the relationship, you make the loan, and then the guy doesn't come back for four years, you know, because yeah. yeah. he's got another project. Whereas with you, okay, maybe you have to invest more time on the upfront to go build these relationships. But if you have that high up retention rate, once they're in the system, wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, just do your job and execute and you don't have to go sell them a second time. Um, yeah, and it, it contributes to what you'd mentioned, right? How do you get comfortable with doing the next year's loan early, right? It's a very high touch loan. It's both customer service as well as loan servicing slash credit, right? But they kind of contribute to the same ecosystem. It's interesting. Now, yeah. we, now, a few other things we didn't talk about. 
<clears throat> so you started this business a little over 10 years ago? Uh, 18. 18 was our, yeah, so okay. call it five. Yeah, five okay. years. Yeah. Okay. And then um, we didn't talk titles, partners. Who, who, how big of a team are you? We, um, I, depending on how you, you count the team, there's probably a core... 12 people. And then outside of that, we've, we've gone to a pretty heavy consulting model. Even if you wanted to consider our sales force uh, consultants are on a commission basis, I'd say there's another 20 sure. uh, partners. So, you know, there's kind of 30 people involved in making the, you know, the, the thing go around. And then I guess thinking mechanically, so you, so you're providing financing to farmers. Uh, obviously, in the U.S., that's the markets you're operating in. You're you're domestic. Um, we talked about pipeline. We talked about product type. Um, funding for this. I mean, with a bank, they're a bank, right? So, are you guys? Is it your? Is it a fund that you're you launched a fund and the fund is backing this? Is it an evergreen structure? Like, what's what's your side of the house look like, so to speak? Yeah, so the the funding of a loan, so uh, uh, you know, any hundred dollars or a dollar, um, typically ninety to ninety five percent is back levered, either from a bank warehouse line or a securitization vehicle, and then that bottom five to ten percent is coming from us as the uh, as the originator and servicer. And that's really that's really funded through a strategic partner. It's not a, in a fund structure. It it comes into the company. It's our, you know, our working capital. Uh, so there really isn't, uh, you know, an end in sight like you would like you would think of as a. Um, a There's fund. no exit date where you get yeah, to your where you need to harvest an asset, et cetera, right? Because it's it's mixed capital and how we run the business, investing in the business, and and obviously putting in haircut capital into those loans is a, is a part of uh, the business operations. Sure. No, it's, it's almost like, yeah, you're syndicating loans. No, it's interesting. I mean, you're, 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 you're basically a bank, you know, but you're not a bank. You're, you're <laughs> like, I mean, just what you're describing to me sounds like a bank, you know, you, in terms it, of the way. Yeah. You know, if you think of a bank, right, it's got tier one capital uh, that it puts into a loan and it has its, its working capital and they get, leverage from depositors you know we don't we don't have quite the same luxury that a bank does at, at those cost of funds right i mean effectively a depositor is giving you short-term funds and a bank is lending it out on more of a long-term basis and they're as cheap as it gets right depositor funds especially because they're insured um we don't get that you know that same lift but we don't also have the um, I won't say regulatory burden, but we don't we can think outside of the box to come up with different solutions as long as, you know, it logically makes sense to to our investors. Right? I, I, I would say regulatory burdens. I mean, I've, I've spoken yeah. to people in commercial banking. <laughs> there is a lot of extra paperwork on top just because, you know, when you get federal insurance, they want to make sure you're not a crook and that you're doing things the way you should. And there's bureaucracy because, of course, there is. Um no, it's interesting. I mean, we'll say one thing you avoid versus your typical commercial lender, and you mentioned depositors. Depositors, of course, have the risk of, I mean, sorry, banks have the risk of you take short-term deposits, you make long-term loans, and you get squeezed sometimes. In your yeah. case, you're in and out every year, 
essentially. I mean, you have other risks because obviously commodity pricing changes, but you don't have that sort of duration risk of short and long. I mean, you put it out a dollar, you get it back within a year. You put out a dollar, you get it back within a year. It's it's more of a more like you're running lines of credit more than anything else. Yeah, the the product it was particularly um uh, well suited for this last environment for for really two reasons. Our average term tends to be around eighteen months, but that's still pretty short term paper. But yeah. it's also floating rate paper, right? So it's repricing with the market every month. So we didn't we didn't have to go through I think some of the pain that a lot of people did if you are making longer duration loans. It's just it's challenging, right? In an environment that that, that type of interest rate hiking the curve was going to be challenging for anybody. Um, but I think it was particularly challenging for people that that were putting a lot of duration or buying duration on their books just because that mismatch became real so quickly and the 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 gap was so big. No, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. I mean I I mean I I don't need to we don't need to regale I'm I'm sure we but we both have stories about how many people got squeezed during some of this stuff so yeah the, i mean the other thing you you have and it's a challenge on the real estate owner or investor side as well as the bank is you you've got a, a valuation gap right that's created with that type of interest rate move where you don't really see the same thing if you're not financing land here you're financing the widgets coming off the land it's it's just you know we we didn't we suffered other, you know, pain points because of of that environment. But the I think the same, or maybe the pain points that are often talked about in the news didn't hit us as as severely. Fair enough. Yeah. So one question I always like to ask people: um, What sort of deals are good, but not for you? I mean, you mentioned some of the loans you do. Like, what are the what are the things farmers or farmers have come to you and say, "Will you finance this?" But you just say. No, thank you. That's not us. Um, traditionally, that's been equipment and land, just because we think the market is generally well served and there isn't necessarily a reason we aren't doing anything special for them. So you they might go as to well, a bank and just get a loan against the land because it's really yeah. Bad. You might as well get the the lowest cost of capital you possibly can. I think sure. you know some of that's changed. We do see gaps where. We actually are making a few real estate loans here and there for current customers where it makes sense um, for what they're trying to do from an expansion perspective. It makes sense in relation to our operating loan. And there's also a convenience factor for them of dealing with one, one party. But even on the operating side, I would say the credit, um, it really comes down to a current ratio or a liquidity profile that the borrower is trying to create or, or maybe is absent. And you're having to make managerial decisions that are less than optimal because you do not have the right amount of liquidity. That's where we play a role and you would pay us a premium for us to create that profile for you. If you have a lot of working capital we just can't do as much for you. And so, you know, we always go into any of these deals looking for, are we adding value and making sure that, you know, our value is is priced accordingly to that particular profile. Right. You have a specialty loan product. And so yeah. 
it if it fits great if it doesn't it doesn't you know we talked a little bit about regulatory issues earlier when we mentioned banks and this is just me being curious so you know you you mentioned row crops right wheat corn what have you um let's talk about regulatory stuff financing cannabis could you finance a cannabis farmer would there be a regulatory limit or rule that would kick in to say no or is it the same thing we cannot actually do that uh, a cannabis, and there is a difference, cannabis versus hemp. Right, uh, I mean cannabis. I mean the product you smoke, not the thing you turn into sugar. Yeah, right? yeah. Because so, hemp, to, for those of us who don't know out there in the world, hemp, low THC, can't get you high, an industrial product, people use it in all kinds of things, right? Whereas yeah. cannabis is the thing people smoke. Correct? Yeah. Right. Okay. We, we can't, uh, in terms of just our agreement, our reps to our banking counterparties, your financial part. Okay. Yeah, that we, we don't do that. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hemp, we actually don't do either for a different reason. Um, there, there's some risk that, you know, hemp can actually turn hot and, you know, ultimately become cannabis and you cross over into the area that you didn't intend to be in. And it's also a little bit of a, you know, everything we, we do, it's based on a risk management plan with crop insurance and hedging. It's just a little trickier on the insurance policy. It's new. Um, it's just not. Um, it's not as well framed in as the other. It's not crop. as mature. Corn, corn yeah. has been around forever, whereas hemp production in the United States is still relatively a young industry for yeah the obvious reasons. We're um, figuring that, it out. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. No, I mean, because I always like to ask people like, what doesn't work, and I mean. You know, not to harp on the cannabis thing, but, you know, it's been interesting because I've had conversations with different parties on different, different, different parts of touching the elephant, trying to figure out, you know, what it is, so to speak. Uh, the old thing about the three blind men. Uh, and um, yeah, it's still something that we're trying to figure out as an industry because of state and federal laws fighting with each other. What what can we and can we do? Um so another question I always like to ask, you know, for good or for bad, nothing ever works out as expected, right? Sometimes we get lucky, sometimes we don't. Uh, any fun surprises or things you came across coming in? Because this is still relatively new for you. You've been doing this for a few years, but you haven't been doing this for 40. Uh, things that are good or bad, unexpected things that you've encountered along the way. That's a good question. Yeah, you know, look, I think there there was unexpected bad things that happened over the last six to twelve months for everybody. I think it, just that that level of uncertainty was difficult. Um, I think probably more on you know less related to our assets and more related to capital markets activity around raising for the company, things like that that were just you know naturally disruptive when you think about valuing a company or just make getting a deal done. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that, that forecast is still a little bit um, TBD, right? I, it, it certainly, if you look at the leading indicators, there certainly seems to be some stability in the numbers outside of kind of the wild cards around politics and maybe geopolitics, right? What's going on sure. in the Middle East. Um, but, you know, if you if you would have asked this question three, six months ago, would we have kind of landed where we landed based on Fed policy? I think boy, it seems like you got to be relatively happy with kind of how people have handled 
uh, the situation. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the good and, and maybe the bad inside of that, I'll just give you a little more detail. Yeah. Um, and really, I think of it as COVID as the catalyst to higher inflation than higher interest rates, right? It was the whole cycle. The good inside of that is it it significantly stressed our risk management plans, which I think everybody looked like looked at it on paper and said, okay, you're hedging price, but you know, what happens when stuff really goes bad? Right. Well, when people stopped driving and ethanol usage went down and corn went from 475 to 320, like everybody saw the mechanics work. And I think it really validated our model. Um, that was that was one of the good surprises out of that it, 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 from from kind of negative stress or maybe just stress testing the model. Uh, I'd say one of the, the bad surprises inside of that, um, you had a ton of stimulus you had uh, actually a rebound in corn prices. You had banks being uh, really stuffed with all of that stimulus money. And we actually felt a lot of headwinds um, after that in terms of bank competition, because you had really a limited way for banks to get money out of the system other than to go try to figure out a different way to lend. So you had right. a lot of banks really moving into this market. You had a lot of farmers that had tons of stimulus dollars and had less pressure on what would be a normalized system where our loan was really valued more. And I think that's slowly being reversed out as, as small businesses have been able to spend on CapEx, deposits have gone down, good or bad, you had the SVB uh, component that caused a lot of stress in the banking system. But we're, we're like back to normal loan to deposit ratios but there for a while, we had a lot of sales headwinds, um, which is probably a surprise I was never thinking of, um, you know, as a as a, an adjacent side effect from COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, you mentioned SVB, you know, Silicon Valley Bank and blowing up and Signature Bank. I'm based in the New York, New Jersey market. So Signature is more of our, you know, the one we paid attention to, but SVB was big. I And your comments about COVID and the rest of it. It does seem to me like the last few years uh, feel like I'm taking, like I'm a sophomore taking macroeconomics and my econ prof throws out a thought experiment, you know, and you just sort of say, well, that's a great thought experiment for a sophomore class in macro, but like, that's not real, you know, like that, that would never happen, you know, and then you throw your hand up and you give an answer and the professor says, great. And then you go back to the class. Uh, COVID feels to me like just a giant thought experiment. Uh, but we got to live it out. And um, yeah, it was weird. I'm still finding masks and pockets of winter coats, you know, that I'm like, okay, well, why do I have this? I guess I can throw it out now. I, I don't, you know, I, I guess I'll throw them out. I, I don't know what to do. It's it's all very weird. It's all very it, weird. Yeah, such crazy times. And and I, whether it's, I guess, interesting from an academic perspective or just a thought experiment, it, it was just, interesting to see all of the side effects from it, right? Because the system had to react to it. And then the system's reaction created all these other reactions and trying to get ahead of that, I think as any business owner investor is, is either there's a ton of opportunity or it can be really frustrating. There were a lot of unexpected consequences. Yeah. A lot of, un I, I don't, I didn't think the toilet paper manufacturers thought that that was going to result in a mammoth run on their product. You know what I mean? Like that was not like whatever their plans were. I'm sure they're like, wow, I had no idea we'd sell that much, you know? So yeah, it's uh, or, you know, yeah, all, all those product, people, right. 
So, so a few final points just before we get to the end here. Um, plans for the next year, two years, five years? I mean, your entity is running. You're looking to grow it. Is there new directions you want to take it in? What, what's the vision as you go forward? Yeah, well, I mean, I think on the growth perspective, um, you know, we've historically grown at almost 100% a year on our book. Um, so keeping yeah, keeping that going in, uh, I'd say our primary focus is making the high touch loan more automated and efficient. We're investing in a ton of tech. So that's both limiting or I shouldn't say limiting, uh, keeping the headcount here at, at a, a lower headcount per dollar out than we've historically been. So where we automate a lot of the high touch component, the data management, and bringing that overall headcount or keeping it stable to just per capita per dollar out lower, um, but also then driving a much better customer experience. They go hand in hand. Everything we do on the servicing side, we try to have a, a counterpart to that that is a good experience for the borrower. We're launching a pretty interesting loan portal uh, that just makes the application process so much easier. It's it's really about digitizing all of that, giving the customer more value. That's really our focus, I'd say, for the next 18 months to two years. It's really tech more than, I'd say, capital markets. No, that's and that's, that's a great point. I mean, look, um, I think the consumer expects a certain level of convenience in everything now, be it from banking to their Netflix account, like they, they yeah. want. They want to be able to do everything without actually ever talking to another human being. Um, so they want it to be easy and they want services. So that's been the focus. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, well, this has been very good. Closing thoughts. Anything we didn't cover? Anything else you wanted to throw out there? No, look, uh, you're going to be a professional podcaster in no time. This was great. Uh, apparently I so. Thank you. <laughs> the, the questions were great. I, I, uh, no, I appreciate being on. Cool. Thanks for thinking cool. of me. Well, then for everyone, no, excellent. And thanks for joining. Uh, so then for everyone who's listening in again, the website is farmop or farmop.com. Uh, and that was, uh, Kirenic. And, uh, what, what is your title, by the way, managing director? What, what is your title over there? CEO. It's, CEO. it's a more traditional kind of company titles. Yeah. I didn't know what yeah. the, no, no, I said earlier. I know. Grand Poobah, whatever, you know. <laughs> I, my, my favorite is, I'm trying to remember if it's the Joe Boxer people, the underwear people, where the guy who runs it is uh, the chief underpants officer. Uh, oh, yeah. I always, I always thought it was amusing. Um, but Kirenic, CEO, PharmOp Capital, uh, you can check him out. And um, thanks again. Excellent.